This will be the last of our cultural issue war that we've been looking at here the latter part of the old year and the first part of the new year. The cultural war issue that we have before us this evening is um, focusing on what the world says about women, what the world expects of women and what God expects of women, which also automatically plays into what God expects of men. And so this will be our direction uh, this evening. Since we'll be talking a little bit about male and female relationships, we want to start out on the lighter side of things. There are, there are two times when men do not understand women. There are two times when men do not understand women. Before marriage and after marriage. <laughs> and there's one big reason why women have more and need more imagination than men. So that women can tell men how wonderful they are. That's as far as we'll go on that side of things. This is a very serious issue, though. It's one that, that is, um, has done quite a bit of harm to our world, to our country, and even to the church. The modern feminism, feminism movement would say that the way... We address the world, the way we teach the Bible, uh, puts women in shackles, oppresses women. Of course, that's not the way it is, but that's the, that's the idea, that we are holding women back. We are even putting them in shackles. And that's the, uh, that's the, that's the call and cry of the uh, modern liberal um, feminism ideals. And it has impacted the world, impacted the church, impacted all of us to uh, some degree and to even a greater degree. It has, it has caused our world to become skewed and in the application of the Bible then becomes weaker. So a lot of folks will, will look to the Bible for guidance, but they'll start with, with an assumption that women are to be in the same sort of leadership roles as men. They start there, and then they apply the Bible. That's why I say the, the religious world has become skewed, and they've created an alternate world that God never meant to be created. Because they'll start at that false premise. They'll start right there, that women and men have the same roles all across the spectrum. And then they say, bring us the Bible and we'll apply it. And um, that, is, that has become very dominant, very dominant. And it's hard to make a headway uh, along these lines. But it's, it's, it's in our culture and it's, it's, a, it's something the devil has um, 
has um, done well in, in, in causing us to become weaker as a people. And so we'll get started here and we'll just go through this worksheet. And uh, the number one is man the head. And let's look at a couple of scriptures. Let's start in Ephesians 5, man as the head. Let's um, start in Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22, most likely. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and he himself is the Savior of the body. Verse 24, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and with the word. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is, is uh, profound, he says here, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she reverences or respects her husband. So there's one passage talking about man as the head. Now let's look over to or look back to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Pick out a few verses there. 1 Corinthians 11. Are you there already? Verse number uh, 3. And then we'll skip down. But look at 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. Paul says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. And then look down to um, verse 8. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 8. For man was not made from woman, but woman from the man. Neither was man created for woman, but the woman for the man. Alright, so man is the head, a few scriptures to um, support that. There are three headships mentioned here in verse 3 that we just read, 1 Corinthians 11. You want to make note of this. Three headships. First, there is the headship of, of God the Father over Christ. Okay. God the Father is the head of Christ. And then there is the fact that Christ is the head of every man. And then the third headship is that the man is the head of the woman. So how is it that God the Father is the head of Christ? Well, Philippians 2 answers that for us. And I'll jump over there and come back. 
But Philippians 2, you remember this, beginning in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not... um, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, uh, took the form of a servant, and um, was made in likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. So Jesus um, submitted himself in coming to earth. So in that way, due to the submission of Christ, then God the Father is the head of Christ. And then the second submission here, the second headship, is that Christ is the head of every man. Christ is not just the head of husbands. Christ is not just the head of Christian men. Christ is the head of every man. We've often read, and we still do, Matthew 28, 18, where Jesus said, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Christ has all authority. Okay, God the Father put that authority in Christ. We've been studying about the authority of Christ on Sunday evenings quite a bit. Alright? So, there's that headship. And the third headship, of course, is man is head of the woman. Okay. Now, under number one here, this headship of man over the woman is a special type of headship. And I believe that we don't have to belabor this idea because I'm, I just believe that this particular audience would understand this. We'll just make a reference to it here. The type of headship, it's a leadership. Any type of headship under Christ that man undertakes or that God gives man, it's, a spe- it's this special type of headship. It's a leadership. Okay? It's not a sovereign rule. It's a leadership. God has charged the man to be the head of his home. That is, to lead his home to heaven. And so it's, it's a leadership that's like the headship of Christ. That's why there in Ephesians 5 in our reading, Paul often says... The man is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. It's a, it's a leadership of love. It's a leadership of sacrificial love. As Christ gave up himself for the church, so the man gives up himself uh, for his wife. Okay. It is, uh, the headship of man is not a license to be rude or uh, to be domineering or to be abusive in any way. It's a headship, it's a leadership like Christ. Every sort of leadership that man would undertake would need to be this sort of leadership, else it's not of Christ. And so as you read there in Ephesians 5, it's a a love, it's a leadership that cherishes uh, the lady and also nourishes her in the spiritual sense to be able to lead her and the children unto heaven. It's also a leadership that recognizes and respects and encourages the skills that God has endowed ladies with, especially the domestic skills. And so he respects that. The man respects that. And he um, 
He encourages those skills to be used, and he doesn't get in the way of those skills to be, to be used. He doesn't try to macromanage his, uh, his wife in any way. He respects um, all of that. You know, over in 1 Timothy 5, 14, Paul said women are to rule the household, and, and that is telling men to back off and allow the woman to, to, um, to manage in the areas in which she is especially skilled uh, to manage. So, number one, man the head. Now, you'll get a chance to respond and throw off on all this in just a little bit. But number two, number two, uh, the respective roles of men and women are based upon certain things. Okay. All right. So, first of all, these roles are based upon the creation order, the order of creation, all the way back to the very beginning, the order of creation. First Timothy 2, down there in verses uh, 12 and 13, as Paul is describing these things, he says, For Adam was first formed, and then Eve. Adam was first formed. And if you, go, if you think back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, Adam was first formed. In fact, God gave Adam several responsibilities before Eve, Eve ever came along. He gave Adam the responsibility of, of the garden in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. To keep the garden and to manage the garden uh, was given to Adam before Eve was ever uh, created. And gave Adam the responsibility of, of dividing out and naming all the creation, animals, and so forth of the world. All this was done uh, even before Eve came on the scene. Adam was first formed, and then Eve. Okay. So it's based on the order of creation. It's also based on the na- nature of creation. The, nat- the nature, the different natures between man and women. Okay. There in Genesis 2 and verse uh, 18... She was created to be a helper uh, to the man. Okay. So she had, she was, she was created with special skills to be able to help uh, the man uh, to not only work but to draw people to heaven. The whole reason that God created man and woman was for His glory. Okay. A side passage there might be Isaiah forty-three verse seven. So we are created for the glory of God. God created men and women, men and women. He created marriage. He created the home. He created the church for his glory. And the way we glorify God is to lead as many people to heaven as possible. That's how that's why God created. So uh, she was created as a help me. Over in First Peter three, uh, verse seven, you remember um, the instruction to husbands are to dwell with, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. And to uh, remember that she uh, is to be respected as the weaker vessel. The weaker vessel. The reason that we have the respected roles of men and women from the very beginning is because God created men and women, women, men and women different. And there is a nature about women that is to be respected and to be protected. And uh, men are to uh, love that and lead in that manner. And so the order of creation, the nature of creation, and then the third thing this is based upon, these roles are based upon the entrance of sin into the world. Going back to 1 Timothy uh, 2, 13 and 14, 
Paul continues when he says, Adam was first formed and then Eve. He said, then Adam was not the first one deceived in the transgression, but uh, Eve was deceived by the, de- by the devil, and she was led away into transgression. So these are the reasons that God gives as to why these respective roles are as they are. Okay. And most every time that a New Testament person or writer will begin to discuss these roles, they will refer all the way back to the beginning of time. Uh, Like in Matthew 19, when Jesus uh, was asked about marriage, uh, somebody asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Jesus said, have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female, and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and the two shall be one flesh? Wherefore, they're no longer two, but one flesh, and what therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So, just about every, it's, it's interesting, you just go through, and you notice whenever an inspired writer talks about or discusses uh, these relations, they always bring up the creation account. Right there in Ephesians 5, Paul says, this is a great mystery, but he says, I do know this, in the beginning God said to this Call shall men leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and the two shall be one flesh. Paul said, I know that God compares the relationship of Christ and the church to husband and wife and he says, this is a mystery but I know it all started way back in the beginning. And so that's number uh, two. All right. Number three. There are attempts made by modern feminism to try to justify modern fem- feminism. So let's see what that might be. First, they might say, well, the New Testament has absolutely no bearing on men and women uh, today. No bearing whatsoever. They will say that um, those men of New Testament times just had a very deep down prejudice against women. And that was because they were involved in some sort of patriarchal social structure. And so they really couldn't help it. They were kind of born with their prejudice. And so they, they spoke and wrote out of that. So therefore, the New Testament should have no bearing on us uh, whatsoever. And they will further say along those lines that there is, should be and should have never been any distinction between the two sexes. And so um, that is one attempt to justify, just to kind of label the New Testament as prejudice against uh, women and just go from there. That would be a very quick answer that someone um, might give you. We know better than that, of course. We know better than that. New Testament was born in history. So many historical facts that are mentioned in the New Testament that also are mentioned by secular sources. And so that that lends credibility to the New Testament. Without the New Testament, we wouldn't know a thing about Jesus Christ. We wouldn't know, we wouldn't have any hope coming out of our sin. Uh, we wouldn't have a, an ideal about the future, and so many things that are that lends credibility uh, to the New Testament. But that's one thing that is said. And then others, more religious uh, in their attempt, will say, "Well, then in the New Testament, women often prophesied, and they did. Uh, Philip's daughters, Acts twenty-one verses eight and nine, did prophesy." Uh, Acts 2, the prophecy uh, of the early church um, included the fact that women, both women, both 
male servants and women servants would prophesy. Okay. But the thing is, there's no record of women teaching or prophesying uh, in a mixed crowd, in, in an integrated male and female crowd. They did teach. They taught, they taught other women. They taught children. And they taught them privately. Such as uh, when Aquila and Priscilla, we read about them in Acts 18, 1 through 3. Uh, Priscilla often uh, was with her husband as he would teach uh, the gospel. Okay. And so um, they did prophesy, and we're grateful for that women have that ability to, to teach. A third attempt is that women were uh, very active in the early church, and they were. Uh, for example, in Romans 16:1, the lady by the name of Phoebe is mentioned. And Paul refers to her as a servant in the church. And he said, she has helped many. He, she's helped me, Paul said. And he said, if she asks you to do something, and then he said, that would probably be a very good idea for you to do it because Phoebe was just in the mix of helping people and doing good works. But that doesn't make her a, a leader in the church. It just means that she cared for people, was concerned for people, she looked after people, and that's how godly women... Um, move and, and do their thing. Okay. But they say, well, that, that's justification for women, that Phoebe was a, a, a public leader in the church. And it's just nothing there that, that suggests that um, whatsoever. Okay. And then uh, some will say uh, that women are regarded as fellow helpers. Turn your Bibles to Philippians 4. Just one second. Philippians 4 see where some women are regarded as fellow helpers. The women's names are Euodia and Syntyche or Syntyche. That's verse 2, Philippians 4 verse 2. Okay. Paul is encouraging them to come to oneness in the Lord and uh, he says, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So that he does refer to them as fellow workers. What, what they say is that that puts these women on the same level of authority as Paul, uh, the apostle. Which it does not. It does not imply that kind of authority. It just means they're helpers to Paul. If you look over to 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9, you see that uh, the Bible calls all of us fellow workers with God himself. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 9. We are, if we're serving the Lord, then we are God's fellow helpers. Well, that doesn't mean we have the same authority as God. It just means we're helping. We're trying to help in his cause of salvation. All right. So, some are regarded as fellow helpers, and we're thankful uh, for this. One of the big things is that... Um, People will say there, there was a different culture in the New Testament times as there is now, which the cultures are quite a bit uh, different. But these restrictions that were given to women were more of a cultural thing, not a, not a long-lasting idea. Okay. In reading um, the Bible and reading the New Testament, we do have to make, um, we have to be able to discern between what is culture uh, and not eternal, and what is something God says that ought to be long-lasting. Okay. And it's really not that difficult. Okay. One help is, again, 
if the New Testament writer is basing what he says on creation, on the original creation of God creating the earth and all things and people, then creation transcends all cultures. Paul, in going back to creation, going back to Adam and Eve, he's sweeping through a lot of history and a lot of societies and a lot of cultures. Okay? And so if something's based on creation, then it has a long-lasting impact. Um, another thing, oftentimes in the scriptures themselves, there are little clues that, uh, that tell us that this is meant to be long-lasting. For instance, take your Bibles and look over to 1 Corinthians 11 about the, uh, about the Lord's Supper. Okay. So is the Lord's Supper something that they just did in the first century and, and then it should just should have ended with the first century or second century or is it something that we ought to still be doing today? Well, notice as Paul discusses this, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, he says, for as, after, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till when? Until he comes again. Until he comes again. And so these instructions about the Lord's Supper are meant to be um, applied and, and carried out until Jesus uh, comes again. You remember Matthew 28, verse 20, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, go and do all these things, and the Lord will be with you until how long? Until the end of the earth, the end of the ages. So the things that Christ brings to us um, are meant to be taught and applied uh, until life on earth is, is no more. And so oftentimes there'll be little uh, clues about this. Turn over to Matthew uh, 10. Let's look at something on the opposite side of this cultural, cultural thing. Matthew 10, verse 5, Jesus sends out the twelve and he instructs them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and don't enter the town of the Samaritans, but rather just go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now see, that's a little textual clue there that tells us this was going to be something limited to just that time. Okay. Because we know the Great Commission says go into all the world, which would encompass both Jews and Gentiles, uh, servants and non-servants, men and women. Okay. And so Jesus was given a special instruction there that would be limited to his time with his uh, disciples, really limited his time here, there on earth. Okay. So that's just the idea. Um, so they'll say, well, the cultural uh, lives, the cultural lifestyles were different. And they are. They're quite a bit different. Of course they are. But that doesn't eliminate the instructions that the Lord gives us uh, to be carried out today. Okay, I think that's the point where you're welcome to respond to anything that has been said. And then we might go on further, we might not.
Mark's agreeing with you. He's got his head. Mark always agrees with you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Paul's bringing us right into the world in which we live. He first talking about a case in the Northeast about transgender athletes, and they were supposedly male, now they're female, and then they beat out some females in an athletic contest, and then there's a lawsuit involved. And then the second one was the presidential candidate says, freedom of religion is great unless it begins to offend the LG group or any, any group. Okay. That, that just brings us right into where we're at. And that's why I said our world has become so skewed away in regard to these, to these relationships. Okay. And it's, it's difficult for people even to begin to even listen to the Bible in these, in these passages because they have been so ingrained with these false ideas. So I don't know if there's any more comment to make on that than, than that, and we're going to hear more and more about this kind of thing. Uh, but it, the, this, is, this transgender business and, and these other matters of all species, this, this, is a, this starts with a misunderstanding of the very basic ideals that we just have discussed here from these few scriptures. And that's, that's where all this stems from. All right, but good comments, I think. Most of, most of that was good. So Julie was saying that her and Anna Catherine were talking about women's roles, and even in World War II, yes, the men were on the on the, the front lines. But what the women were doing, both at home and as as nursing aides and so forth, was just as important. And, and that parallels to the church in so many ways. Uh, if, if we could just understand that, you know, remember now the First Corinthians eleven three spoke about God being the head of Christ. There's nothing humiliating about the service of Christ. It is of great value, even though he, is, he, is, he put himself, he submitted himself, he left heaven and took upon the form of a servant, became in, in fashion as a man, humbled himself, became obedient unto death, the death of the cross, but yet, look at how valuable his role is. And so it's the same way. It's, it's not by accident that Paul puts those three headships in the same verse. He wanted us to do some comparing there. Good, good comment. All right. I think in some instances it can be uh, separated. Um, for example, uh, well, what Stanley was saying is women's role in the workplace, women's role in the church. Can that be separated? Okay. Uh, can that be separated? Now, I'm not sure I understand. Well, let me just 
say what I was going to say. And that is, um, you know, there are circumstances we understand where women um, just have no choice but to, to get out of the home and get into the public workplace. Okay? Oftentimes it's the, it's the absence of a husband. It, there may be other extenuating circumstances. Uh, so that would be a case where it would be a little bit different. Okay? But the same, the same basis, the order of creation, the nature of creation, and the interest of sin, on those same bases does God outline the roles of men and women both in the home and in the church. So in that way, it's, they're both very similar because he creates these roles in the home and creates these roles in the church based on these same ideals of creation and entrance of sin into the world. So in that way, it's very similar. Should a woman ever be in a leadership role at a workplace? Okay. I don't mean this rude, Sandy, but sometimes there's women that are better leaders than men. I certainly think it is the better rule for this, these roles to be applied in all three situations, church, home, and society. A woman but, is never subject to every man. This refers to her husband. Right. Not every man in the world. Well, <laughs> it says her husband, but it also implies men at church as well. Well, you speak or remember, and I don't, I don't recall his name, but he kept his spell down for the entire series. He said, my wife is to be subject to me. Your wife is to be subject to you, not to me or to anybody else. And I think we may be trying to blur the lines here just a little bit. I don't know about that. Um. What? From your point of view, okay. So, uh, you know, God just set up, obviously, the home as he set it up. The man is the head of the wife. Okay. But also, in 1 Timothy 2, he set up a similar structure in the church. Okay. So, and then the question is, how far does that structure, should it go into society? All right. So, that... That is, um, you know, I don't know that we can be as specific on that. Well, if, if a woman, if that's the case, then every woman who is in a supervisory position over a male is not in, if, if you take it to that point, she is not in a right relationship with God if she, I mean, if we take that to the workplace. Yeah. And I'm not sure we can with the Bible. I'm not sure we can. But I do think that it needs to be kept in mind. I think, I think we need to be careful. I don't think we can extend it technically, specifically in every situation like that. But I do think it doesn't need to be dispelled just because you're out in the workplace. I don't think you need to just forget about 
these roles that God has set up because there's a reason that he set these up. But Like I said, I don't know that you can take these New Testament principles and go into every societal situation in every workplace and say this has to be this, this has to be that. But I don't think God wants to complete that, completely forget it either um, in, in our relations with men out in society. I mean, in women's relations with men and, and in men's relationship with women, I think they still need to respect how God made them in every situation. So. The problem is That's what we're saying. There's, there are circumstances where women have to step up, have to take up, take the, the role when they might not even want to. But they have to. I said a minute ago, I don't know that you can extend all these principles out into society in the workplace. Y'all heard me say that. But we've got to keep God in mind and not just, you know. It would be very good if in the workplace we could keep, talk to people about these very principles that we're talking about. They've been doing some good at, in their church and home. Yeah. Alright, we'll take about a three minute break.